So, have you ever put down your cup of coffee, put down your reading glasses, put down your book, and gotten up from your chair, walked into the kitchen and said, what on earth am I here for? That happens to me, that happens to me mostly in Walmart. <laughs> what on earth am I here for? We're studying a new book, well, an old book, actually. I think it came out in 1992, but we're starting a sermon series um, this week on The Purpose Driven Life, and its subtitle is, What on Earth Am I Here For? This um, journey that we're going on, we're going on together. If you're in a small group in the church, you will be discussing it. If you are not in a small group, you have the opportunity to discuss it after the service in our church library. We're doing all this as a family, which I think is really cool. It's like a spiritual journey is like a road trip. <laughs> are we there yet? <laughs> so the point of this journey is to transform our lives, to help us figure out exactly what we're here on earth for. You may have taken this purpose-driven journey before. Many of you have. I've heard, I think one person told me that they've done this four times in four different churches. <laughs> but things change. Circumstances change. Your life's purpose, personally, what you do, might have changed. You might be retired now. It might not have been the case when you did this the first time. I did this by myself about eight or nine years ago. Not in, this, in a group at all. And I looked at my notes, and I'm a little embarrassed by what I was working on then. I hope that God has seen changes in my life since that time. So, here we go. Together. Together we'll get more out of it. I learn things better when I get to discuss them with my friends and my family. So, let's get started. We're starting with the um, words that you heard from Carla this morning in Colossians. Wow, that's small. Okay. <laughs> I will be reading this from my notes. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So, wait a minute. This passage doesn't say anything about me. It's all about Jesus, right? How do I find my purpose in there? Well, you and I are in there, in the disguise of things. In him all things were created. We're created. My purpose is in there. I was created through him and for him. In other words, my life is not about me. Your life is not about you. It's all about God. This is the first thing we need to know when going into our discipleship journey on a purpose-driven life. It's also the final thing we need to know, and it's pretty much all the stuff in the middle as well. Everything is about God, and that's according to this passage in Colossians. Now, there will be a certain amount of soul-searching in, in this journey. So we are going to be thinking about ourselves, 
But the point of doing it is not for us. The point is for Jesus. The point isn't personal success or happiness or fulfillment or self-actualization. The point is to figure out what God wants you to do. To do. What on earth am I doing here? And then to do it. This is not the typical way we look for a purpose. In fact, just this week I got a very funny email. It struck me funny. It was about um, a, an audiobook offer called Search Inside Yourself, The Unexpected Path to Achieving Success, Happiness, and World Peace. Seriously, I hate to be the one to tell you, you will not find world peace inside yourself. And in fact, you won't even find peace if you only look inside yourself. Living with a purpose is the path to peace. But not just any purpose. You need the right purpose. You need God's purpose. And here's the paradox. Your purpose in this life is not about this life. This life is preparation for the next. I find that hurting. If this life were all we had, what would the point really be? I honestly can't even imagine. People do imagine. You've seen the bumper sticker, he who dies with the most toys wins. That's not the point. Some people say they just want to leave the world a better place, and that's noble. But why? Someone else is just going to mess it up after you're gone. That may sound cynical, but I think we've all seen that things are not necessarily getting better and better every day in every way. If the only goal, as some believe, is to pass on our DNA, I can't think of anything less rewarding. Of course, I don't have children, so maybe that's my problem with that. But God says differently. God says this life is preparation for the next. And how do we prepare for the next life? Well... I read the book. The first thing we do is we recognize that life is a test. Life is a test, and we'll look at Esther for this. Esther is a great example of somebody who passed the test. I'm sure you've read the book of Esther. It's, it's really kind of fun. It's, it almost reads like a novel. The book of Esther is set during the era when the Persians ruled over Judah. Now, the Persians, they came after the Babylonians. The Babylonians took all the Israelites, put them in captivity in Babylon. Then Cyrus the Great came along, conquered the Babylonians, and some of those, uh, when Cyrus was in charge, he allowed the Israelites to go back to their homeland. But some of them stuck around. They had planted roots there. And some of the Jews moved to the new capital in Susa, and that's where the story takes place. Esther's story is set in the community of Persian Jews far away from their homeland, but they remembered their Judaism. They remembered God. In the book of Esther, we're told how Xerxes, the king, divorced his wife Vashti because she'd refused to come when he called her. Now, it's a little more complicated than that. She had and good reason, but he was the king, and so he divorced her because he was mad. They held this whole empire-wide beauty contest, and Esther won and became the next queen. Her cousin, Mordecai, saved Xerxes' life by uncovering an assassination plot, and he passed the word on to Esther, and she told the king. So Esther and Mordecai, they were highly favored by Xerxes. He liked them a lot. However, there was one guy in the kingdom who didn't. His name is Haman. Haman had some power, and he was kind of drunk with it. 
He was very upset when it turned out that Mordecai would not bow to him. So upset that he decided to take it out on all of the Jews in the whole empire. He went to Xerxes and said, these people are no good for you. They're not doing, they don't like you, you know, it's time to get rid of them. And Xerxes, not knowing that Esther and Mordecai were Jewish, decided, okay, signs his name on the decree that can't be taken back. Well, Mordecai finds out when the deadline is for everybody to be killed, everyone in his whole family, basically, and he gets, goes to Esther and asks her to plead for them. So that's where this verse comes in. He says, who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. This might be your purpose in life, is what he said. Well, Esther was a little afraid because going into the king without being asked is almost as bad as refusing to come when he asks you to. In fact, it could be actually worse. You could get killed for doing that if he wasn't in a good mood. But she considers it, and she says, I think you're right, and goes on to say, uh, she sent this reply to Mordecai, I will go to the king, and even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Esther passed her test and saved her people. You are always being tested. It might not be a big test like Esther's. It might be a little quiz, but it happens all the time. I have trouble passing these small tests. I get, especially when I travel, I get irritable. I know better, but for some reason, I just, it really rubs me the wrong way when people like, get in group one when they're supposed to be in group three. (laughs) And so I have decided, I've decided to do something about that. And I found this in another book, but anyway, I do this gesture, I grab myself by the arm, and I think of Jesus holding me by the hand and saying, my, my response is, Jesus, help me. Help me to pass the test. And that's just enough time for me to kind of gets things under control. And if you find that helpful, go ahead and use that one too. God wants you to pass the test. He's not hoping for you to fail. So, life is a test. Life is also a trust. God entrusts you with gifts to see how well you use them. Jesus told this parable, parable of the talents it's called. And I'm going to sort of reword it here. My own words. Jesus told a parable of a man who went on a journey and called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, and to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability, which I find kind of interesting. He knew. He knew who would succeed. Then the master went on his journey, and after a long time, he returned and settled accounts with the servants. The first said, Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The second servant said, Master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. I have gained two more. And his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The third servant 
said, Master, I knew that you are a hard man, so I was afraid, and I went and hid your gold in the ground. Um, and see, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would at least have received it back with interest. Take the bag of gold from him, give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. As we've been saying often here, everything you have is from God, and you hold it in trust. What you do with your money, your time, your gifts, your talents, you are accountable to God for how you use them. Our goal is to hear that well done when we finally meet God face to face. That's why we're going through this book together. We're going to take a long, hard look at what God wants us, each one of us, personally to do. And to see how we can learn to be those good and faithful servants of the Lord. We'll be digging into that very deeply in the next few weeks. So, life is a test. Life is a trust. Life is also a temporary assignment. Our life here on earth is gone pretty quickly, and I think most of us realize that. But what isn't as obvious, perhaps, is that we won't necessarily see the results of all our efforts. That, again, isn't the point. Not at all. We're here only for a brief time, and in a sense, our lives are like a relay race. We run our leg as well as we can, and we pass the baton on. A great example of this are Abraham and Sarah. And I'm going to read from Hebrews 11:8 to 13. This only has verse 8 on the screen. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations, not a tent, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children, because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So this passage, I think, gives us God's perspective on how we should view our lives. If we really act like we know our lives are fleeting, we'll make the most of every moment. It's easy to waste time watching TV, catching up on Facebook, playing stupid video games. Oh, wait, that's me. I imagine you sometimes waste time, too, but that's not the best way to live. As Rick Warren says in his book, and that's on our next screen, the ultimate goal 
of the universe is to demonstrate God's glory. That's why you exist. Living the rest of your life for the glory of God will require a change in your priorities, your schedule, your relationships, and everything else. It will sometimes mean choosing a difficult path instead of the easy one. And that's exactly what Paul says in Romans 6.13. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. And again, in Romans 11.36, Paul says, For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. I hope you're as excited as I am to see what God has in store for you and for our fellowship here in this church as we learn more specifically what our purpose in this life is and how we can prepare for the next. Amen.